done three verses last week, if I recollect correctly. But you've done them real good. Well, I appreciate that. We give that glory to the Lord. That's right. Uh, but uh, Jude, continuing last week, recapping last week, uh, to talk about these certain men crept in unaware, these filthy dreamers, uh, and uh, you know, how they're uh, infiltrating the church what they're doing and what they are. Uh, Y'all recall last week, those of you that were here, uh, he referred to them as spots on their feast days and uh, compared them to raging waves of the sea and uh, foaming out their their own shame and so on. And that's where we left off last week in verse 13. Uh, So this week we get to pick up in verse 14 and it begins a little strange, uh, but uh, we'll pick up in Jude, and verse 14. says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So back to verse 14. I said it kind of begins strange because it says, And Enoch also. Uh, you know, who is Enoch? Well, we know Enoch from Genesis chapter 5. Uh, Enoch, uh, uh, he's the one that walked with God and was not. Uh, but why is Jude quoting Enoch here when there is no book of Enoch? In the scriptures, well, there is a book of Enoch. It's an apocryphal book. And uh, you all heard me touch on it before. Me personally, I don't recommend that you read the apocryphal books. I don't read the apocryphal books. And the main reason for that is uh, I'm sure it would be an interesting read, but I'm afraid I might get to witnessing to someone and I might quote from one of these apocryphal books that is not part of the 66 books of the canon of scripture and I say, well, the Bible says this, but I'll actually be quoting from one of them other books. And then they go home, they do their internet search or whatever they do, and they say, well, that's not in the Bible. That fellow lied to me. And what kind of name does that put on me? And what does it lead that person to think? So I steer clear of the apocryphal books. However, that brings us to a little dilemma here. Why is Jude quoting a book that is not part of the canon of Scripture? Uh, you know, Jude was a Jew. We know this. We know that he was the brother of James. He was the half-brother of Christ. If that indeed be the Jude or the Judas that is mentioned in Scripture, not Judas Iscariot. Uh, we established that our first lesson through Jude. So he being a Jew, he would have been familiar with these books that the Jews held in high regard, such as the book of Enoch. Uh, there is a man that's referred to as the father of Latin theology, his name was Tertullian, and he claims that the Jew that that the Book of Enoch was preserved by Noah on the ark. And once again, this ain't in Scripture, but this is this is what Tertullian uh, surmised, and he says that the Book of Enoch was preserved by Noah on the ark, and that the Jews continued to recite things from the Book of Enoch and and. Uh, hold it in very high regard all the way up until the first century church 
But why was the book of Enoch done away with? Well, if you look in Jewish history uh, and you read up on it just a little bit, uh, you'll find that there were many messianic prophecies in the book of Enoch, many very startling uh, messianic prophecies in that book, and the Jews didn't like that, so they removed it from their canon of Scripture. Therefore, it's not in our canon of Scripture either. I believe when I stand before God one day and I'm judged by the Word of God, this is the 66 books that He will use to judge me. I don't believe that it, you know the book of Enoch uh, holds much clout as far as the canon of Scripture goes, but Jude here is quoting uh, this book. Now, people will say, why isn't it included in the canon then? If Jude's quoting it, it's got to hold some water of some kind. And that looks good on the surface, and it sounds good on the surface. But I've heard it said, and I may have said it here, or may not have, but, a, you know, speaking of analog clocks, a broken clock is correct twice a day. So there, may, there must have been something wrong with the book of Enoch for uh, the Lord to have not wanted it included. When I said the Jews are the ones that removed it, uh, but I believe this canon that we have right now is the is the correct canon. Uh, you know, if you look uh, at the apocryphal books, there, there were almost 100 books in the original Bible instead of just 66. Uh, so there's been that many of them removed. You know, most of us are, have heard of the books of Maccabees. Uh, there's a book of Wisdom. There's, there's a, the book of Susanna. There's all kinds of books that have been removed from Scripture, and rightfully so. The Maccabees were removed, I believe, most rightfully so, because they were actually written during uh, what we refer to as the 400 years of silence. So they could not, absolutely could not have been God-inspired if God was silent in that period. Uh, but I said this, this is a little bit of a dilemma, but not when you, when you look at it uh, as such as, you know, Enoch was... Are up for the Jews. They, they held it in high regard, uh, paid a lot of respect to it, but the Jews are the ones that had it removed from their canon. And this isn't the only time we find this in Scripture. In Acts chapter 17, Paul quotes a pagan poet uh, uh, to the men there at Athens. Does that mean that pagan poet, that everything that he ever wrote or said is scriptural or is God inspired? No, Paul just quoted him. Uh, as such. You look in the Old Testament, you look in the books of Kings, you look in the books of Chronicles, you see a lot of strange names pop up there. Is this not recorded in the book of so-and-so or in the book of such-and-such -such that we don't have in our canon of Scripture? So this isn't the only time that this pops up. But don't let that get in, get in your way of uh, understanding what Jude is getting at here. He says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, what is these? Who are these? It's the same people we've been talking about for a few weeks now. These are the certain men crept in unawares. We're continuing on with that. Jude is continuing on with that. And he said that, that Enoch, even, even Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he's talking about how long these people have been prophesied of. He said even Enoch prophesied of people like this that we've been talking about, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all. Now, what I want you all to pay attention to here in verse 15 is the word all and the word ungodly because that's what Jude is concentrating on. He says to execute judgment upon all. Now, it doesn't say all the ungodly. 
He says, upon all. And, and the Lord is coming, and he is coming to execute judgment upon all. The Bible says that, uh, that Jesus Christ is going to come, and he's going to, he, and he will execute judgment. Paul says that we must all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. All is all. That's everybody. That's saved and lost alike. We all must stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, Christ will judge us according to the works that we've done in our bodies, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And folks, that's scripture. You will give an account for what you've done. I will give an account for what I've done. And the lost will give an account for what they have done. That, that excludes no one. We must all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, but he says to execute judgment upon all. And then he gets in uh, uh, to these other parts. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. That's a lot of alls and a lot of ungodlies there in that one little verse of scripture in chapter 5 or in verse 15 of Jude. But he's coming, to, uh, the Lord's coming with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. So he's coming to convince or to convict, to show people, uh, to show the ungodly of their ungodly deeds. And he's going to do it to all of them is what Jude is keeps pressing in uh, uh, keeps pressing in here he's come to ex execute judgment upon all and convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed that's a that's a strange uh, succession of words in our English <coughs> language uh, to read there when he says uh, uh, all ungodly committed uh, but he's thrown this word all and this word ungodly out there so not only are they ungodly people, but they're committing ungodly deeds. I mean, folks, I know some ungodly people right now that do good deeds. And we all probably know people like that. We all know people. What is ungodly first? Ungodly is just simply without God. They don't have God. They're, they're unsaved. They're unregenerate. That's what makes them ungodly. It's not necessarily that they practice a, a wicked life or they're, they're witches or wizards or, or anything along those lines. It simply means they have not God. If you're godly, you have God. If you're ungodly, you don't have God. It's that simple. Uh, but he's talking about these people, these men that have crept in unawares, these men that are spots in the, in the, in the love feast, these men that... Uh, that come in with their false teachings. And remember, that's, that's the whole gist of what began this letter. Remember, Jude, Jude began this letter within the first uh, few verses saying, you know, I was going to write to you about the common salvation, but I, I've been urged to write to you otherwise to warn you of these false teachings and these false teachers that are coming in, these certain men that are crept in unawares. And that's still the subject matter that we're on. And they're, they're ungodly men. They don't have God. And they're teaching ungodly things within the church. And that's what Jude is pressing on here. He says, in all of their uh, hard speeches, which ungodly sinners uh, have spoken against him. So 
All their speeches are ungodly. All their ungodly speeches, everything that they say, everything that they do, ungodly people will act in an ungodly manner. I know y'all have heard me say it. Heathens will be heathens and pagans will be pagans because that's all they know to do. That's all they know. When, before I was saved, that's all I knew to do was be a pagan, be a heathen, uh, be an ungodly person. And, but once I got saved, that changed. And, but uh, Jude, Jude here is saying, well, we'll go on into verse 16. Verse 16 says, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. He's describing these certain men who crept in unawares. But my goodness, how much of the church world nowadays is Jude, uh, is Jude describing here? Murmurers and complainers. And all of us are guilty of it. We all complain. We're all murmurers. Uh, Spurgeon, I like uh, Charles Spurgeon's uh, description of people like this. He, he actually says, you know the type of people that Jude is talking about. He said, even if the high priest himself, speaking of Jesus Christ, he said, even if the great high priest himself were here among us, they would find fault in the color of the stones of his breastplate. That's the type of people that Jude is talking about. That's the type of people that, or that's the description that Charles Spurgeon gave of these people. And, and, and it's true. They can't, they, they can't be happy with anything. They're not happy with their families. They're not happy with their jobs. They're not happy with their church. They're not happy with the gospel. They're not happy with anything. C.H. Spurgeon also said in that same quote, he said, they would want the bread of life cut in three pieces and served on dainty napkins. And I said that's C.H. Spurgeon's description of these people, not my own. Uh, but we all know people like that. They're unhappy with anything and everything uh, that, that, is, that is about them. These are the murmurs and these are the complainers. Uh, but what does that do? What does that do when, uh, when it infiltrates the church? We're talking about ungodly people here that are murmurs and complainers. These ungodly people, the unregenerate, they come in amongst the saved people. And they get to murmuring, and they get to complaining, and it spills over into a saved person's life. And that person gets to murmuring, and that person gets to complaining. And the same thing happened in the Old Testament with the Israelites, folks. This, the exact same thing. You read, you read when the murmuring started amongst Israel. You read about a mixed multitude that came up out of Egypt with them. Who was a mixed multitude? That was the ones that were not the chosen of God. They were not the apple of God's eye. These were Egyptians. These were heathens and pagans that came up out of Egypt with the Israelites. But they're the ones that got the murmuring started. And it spilled over into God's people, the people that he had just delivered out of bondage and out of slavery. It happened then, and it happened in Jude's time, and it happens now, here in 2022, when murmurs and complainers and ungodly folks come into the church with their murmurings and with their complainings, it will spill over into the congregation. And when it spills over into the congregation, it, it, creates, a, it creates a very negative atmosphere within the walls of any local assembly, any local church. As, and we've got to guard against these things. We've got to guard against uh, 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 these people that come in uh, and murmuring and complaining. And as Jude says here, walking after their own lusts. And uh, I know we 
we talked about this a little bit when I went through the book of James. You know, lust is not ne necessarily sexual desire, and that's not what Jude is getting at here, no more than what it uh, was James, that James was getting at. That's your, your own desires, period, whatever you're lusting after, uh, uh, whether, whether it is a man or whether it is a woman or whether it is a job or more money or cars or fame or uh, you know, wealth, whatever the case is. Uh, he says, these are the things that these people are walking after. They're walking after their own lust. Not only do they murmur and complain, but they walk after their own lust. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words. In other words, they're prideful. Great swelling words. Uh, you know, making themselves look good. Making themselves seem like they know what they're talking about. And Jude's already addressed uh, a couple of lessons ago, he's already addressed it. These people, they want to teach, but they, they don't even know about what they want to teach. They just, they just want to stand before people and sound good. And this will be the great swelling words that Jude is talking about, having men's persons uh, in admiration because of advantage. Uh, they, they, want, they want the admiration of fellow men. They want, they want to be called teacher. They want to be called rabbi. They want to be called master. They want to have a position uh, in the church. Uh, verse 17. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit stop right there but beloved so he's been addressing the church believers in Christ through this whole letter so he's been talking about these certain men that are crept in unawares he says but beloved remember you the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ he said remember the things that they've said he says, how have they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust? He's talking about the apostles, the men that walked with Christ, John and Peter and James and uh, these other folks that, that actually walked with Christ and, and communed with Christ, ministered with Christ, and went out to minister when Christ sent them uh, to do so. He says, remember what these folks said. He said, they told you them, themselves. Remember, we're talking about the first century church here. This is the first generation uh, of Christianity that ever walked the earth that Jude is addressing here. He says, how they told you there should be mockers in the last time. Now, if we take this in the immediate context that it's in, who, uh, uh, what would they be mocking? in the immediate context uh, that we're talking about. Well, we've been talking about their murmurs and their complainers. In the verses before that, he says uh, that they were all ungodly and they were teaching ungodly things. Uh, uh, so in the immediate context of that, he would be talking, uh, as far as mocking, uh, he'd be talking, he'd be saying, they're mocking you for not going along with their ways. In the immediate context. That's what they would have been mocking. However, uh, we know that the mocking spreads much further and much wider than that goes, not only in the first century church, but even, even nowadays. They, uh, uh, what else was brought up here in the immediate context? 
coming of the Lord. He said, when he quotes Enoch, remember he said, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. I have a feeling that's what a lot of the mockery was. Where's your Lord? You've been saying that he's coming. Where's he at? I'm standing out here. I'm looking up at the sky. I'm looking up at the clouds. I don't see him. But he's saying, but he refers to him as beloved. He says, remember the words. Remember the words that the very people that walked with Jesus Christ, the very people that ministered with Jesus Christ and that heard his teachings and that have spread his teachings, remember the words that they have told you themselves and that they have left for us, uh, uh, you know, the words that they spoke, uh, that they've left for us to look back on. He's saying, encourage yourself with these words. Yes, there's going to be mockers. My goodness, Paul told Timothy that. He said, the last days will be scoffers. They'll be mockers. They'll be uh, people like this. Uh, he said, and this is uh, the same verse that says, you know, they'll have itching ears, gathering teachers unto themselves. Uh, you know, just, in other words, getting people around them uh, to teach them what they want to hear instead of what they need to know. And that's something uh, that's prevalent in the churches now. Uh, it, obviously, it was, it was around in Jude's time because he was writing about it. But uh, even now, 2,000 years later, folks, it's still prevalent in the churches. There's still a lot of people that have itching ears, and they just want somebody to come by and scratch their ears for them, make them feel better about themselves, instead of telling them what thus saith the word of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I want to be reproved. I want to be, I want to be rebuked if need be. Uh, you know, I want to be corrected. I want to walk in line uh, uh, with the way God wants me to walk. And everybody that's born again should feel that way. Nobody likes correction. Nobody likes rebuke. Nobody likes reproof. But it's helpful and it's needful in the church that we that we be reproved and that we be reproved scripturally and by scripture but he says they told you about that there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust that's a, there's that word ungodly again and uh and he's speaking of their their own lust their own desires he says this is what they're walking after they're not walking uh in a way that uh, as paul said paul said you know, uh, follow me even as I follow Christ. These people weren't walking that way. They were saying, this is my view on it. Just listen to me. Get, get in behind me. Lay down that cross that you're bearing. Lay down that cross that you're carrying and just follow me. It's a whole lot easier to go this way. And that's, a, that's an ungodly desire uh, that people have. And unfortunately, it's bled over into the church world. I mean, it's bled over into the saved world. Uh, once again, even nowadays, people have that attitude. It shouldn't be this hard. Well, show me in Scripture where Jesus said it would be easy. Show it to me and I'll teach it to you. I'll preach it to you. It's not in there. Christ never said that. In fact, Christ is the very one that said, if any man should follow, wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. That was the words of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it begins with denial of self, not following after your own ungodly lust. That's what denying self is. You put your ungodly lust on the back burner. You toss them behind you. You put your hand on the plow and you trudge forward for God and for his kingdom and for his cause. That's our job as Christians, not to follow after our own ungodly lust. But these men were doing just that. 
He says, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. They separate themselves. Separate themselves from what? They separate themselves from the true blue children of God. They're creating, but they're also creating divisions within the church, within the assembly, within the children of God. Uh, they're separating themselves and bringing other people with them. This would be what we call a church split nowadays. Uh, but that's, that's exactly what Jude is getting at here. And he says sensual. Once again, this word sensual, a lot of times we equate that with something sexual. And that's not what uh, Jude is getting at here. And James, we, we addressed this when we were going through the book of James. James brings it up in chapter 3 of his book, uh, speaking of the wisdom. He says this wisdom is sensual and devilish. He's talking about the wisdom that comes from below, the wisdom that's earthly, when James says that. And uh, Jude here says, These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. That right there, if nothing else that Jude has said, even in calling them ungodly, if nothing else that he has said tells us that these are unsaved people, that line right there does. They have not the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says, if we have not the spirit of Christ, we are none of his. If we have not the spirit, we are not saved. We don't know Christ. Right. And that's the people that Jude is talking about here. And that's who he's been describing through this whole little one chapter book that we've been reading here. He's been talking about unregenerate people coming into the, to the, the house of God or into the assembly, wherever they were gathered at, someone else's house, a synagogue, a street corner, wherever they were at, these unregenerate people are coming in and teaching falsehoods and teaching others to follow along with them. That's the, the people that he's speaking of here, and they have not the spirit. If they have not the spirit, they cannot and are not, and they cannot be and are not saved. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves under most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Once again, he, he started this little passage off uh, uh, a little bit nicer uh, when he says, but beloved, remember you the words which were spoken. And then he kind of gets, gets a little bit rough again, talking about the certain men crept in unawares. And verse 20, he says, but ye beloved. Now, who is he just talking about in the previous verse? These be they who separate themselves. Sensual, having not the spirit. He says, but ye. So there's a separation there. He's saying, these men are unsaved, but Ye, beloved, but you who do believe, you who have been saved, you who have received Christ, ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. This is an important verse in the book of Jude and uh, really in all of the New Testament. But ye, beloved, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves. Folks, this falls in our lap. Building up yourselves. I understand regeneration is of God. I understand salvation is of God. Salvation is of the Lord, and the Lord is salvation. I get all that. But how many of us have ever said, I want a closer walk with God, and we put no effort forth in getting that closer walk? He says, building up yourselves. This is on our side of the fence. It's on our side of the court. It's laying right in our lap. It is up to us to build up ourselves. 
He says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Well, who gives that faith? God gives that faith. God gives everything. Faith, faith is a gift. Faith is a gift from God uh, uh, that he gives, period. You read about that in the book of Ephesians. But God gives that gift. He gives it to us. The believers utilize it to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to be saved. And But he says that we build up, or he says building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Not in your most holy faith. On your most holy faith. God has given it. God has given it. And, he sa- and Jude says to build up yourselves, folks. If you're not getting any closer to God, it's your fault. Amen. It is not God's. If you're praying to God, God draw me closer, but you're not drawing closer to God, it's your fault. And it's my fault. I ain't pointing a finger at you all. I ain't trying to, to stomp on your toes or anything like that. It applies to me just like it does you. But if we're not moving any closer to God, it is our fault because Jude gives us instruction in the canonized scripture that we have, which is the inspired word of God, to build up yourselves on your faith. You take what God has given you. You take the very foundation, which is faith, and you build on that. And you build up yourself on that. Praying in the Holy Ghost. He tells us what to do and he tells us how. By praying. By praying. But folks, there's, uh, you know, once we pray, and uh, again, it's something I've said several times, sometimes we need to put shoes on our prayers. We need, we need to, we need to, not that God needs our help, but God's given us instruction in his word. And I just read you all a verse worth of instruction. Build up yourselves on your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Ghost. When we're building up ourselves on our most holy faith that God has granted us, how, how, what is the best way to initiate that? By praying in the Holy Ghost. How do we continue to do that though? We continue it by praying in the Holy Ghost, yes, but we continue it by following what this book says to our absolute best ability. None of us will follow it perfectly. That's the whole reason Jesus Christ had to come. We couldn't follow the law perfectly. We couldn't follow the Word of God perfectly. That's the entire reason Jesus Christ came and bled and died for us is because it was impossible for us, finite human beings, to do that. But... uh, Jude says, "Pray, uh, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You pray, you act. You pray, you act. You pray, you act. You act in the manner according uh, to the instructions that we have in Scripture. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the action. That's the acting. Keep yourselves. Once again, this falls in our lap. It falls in our lap. It is up to us to keep ourselves in the love of God. I understand Romans 8, and I understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I I get that, and I appreciate those verses. And that's wonderful and great and fine and well. But Jude here says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How did he begin this entire passage of Scripture? Remember you the words that the apostles spoke. How are we going to do this? How are we going to 
How are we going to know what to pray in the Holy Ghost? How are we going to know how to keep ourselves in the love of God? By remembering the Word, by reading the Word. You ain't going to remember anything if you don't read it. You ain't going to remember anything if it's not preached to you or taught to you. But the best way to, to remember these things is to read it for yourself. I can stand up here and teach y'all till I'm blue in the face. But if, if you can't recall what I've taught a few days later, it ain't going to do you a whole lot of good. It won't do me a whole lot of good if I read out of this book and I don't recall it. And I ain't saying you got to memorize uh, all 66 books of the scripture. I ain't saying that at all. That'd be, that'd be wonderful, but I can't even do that. And, uh, you know, Billy Graham couldn't even do that. Or any, any other preacher you can think of. None of us, uh, none of us, none, none of us Christians have memorized the entire Bible from Genesis 1 1 to Revelation 22 21. None of us have. But that's a wonderful way for us to keep ourselves in the love of God. So keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We've got two commandments really there in Scripture. Building up yourselves and keep yourselves. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith and keeping yourself in the love of God. What better thing to keep ourselves in? What do you think of when you think about the love of God? I mean, there's songs written about the love of God. There's wonderful songs written about the love of God. Vern quoted uh, the song, the hymn, Love of God, just two or three weeks ago, I guess, uh, while he was preaching or teaching, where it says, uh, you know, every stalk on earth were a quill, and the oceans were ink, and the sky parchment made. And it would drain the ocean dry to write about the love of God. Just on a side note, do you know where those lyrics were from? If you read it in your hymnal, it'll tell you. Insane Asylum. It's found in an insane asylum. In an insane asylum. And somebody in an insane asylum actually wrote, actually scratched those words on the wall of an insane asylum. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's just a side note. But the love of God is why you're sitting here saved this morning if you are. Amen. It's the love of God. God, now y'all have heard me say it before, and I'll go to my grave saying it. God didn't save you because he loved you. God saved you for the sake of Christ. You can find that in Ephesians as well. Says, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. <coughs> He saved you for the sake of Christ. He saved you that his son, his only begotten son, would not die in vain. He saved you because of this. But all in all, in the grand scheme of things, you're sitting here saved this morning because of the love of God. Now, somebody can take a statement like that and say, well, if God loves me, then I'm, I'm saved. No, that's not the case. I mean, if that was the case, Pharaoh would have been saved. If that was the case, Judas Iscariot would be in heaven right now instead of in his own place, as the book of Acts says. If, if the love of God worked like that, wouldn't none of us have to worry about keeping ourselves in the love of God? Wouldn't none of us have to follow any of these instructions that we've had, that 
read, don't have nor tell on your most holy faith. We wouldn't have to worry about that if that's the way it works. That's not the way the love of God works at all. Do I believe John 3.16? Absolutely, I believe it. And I appreciate John 3.16. I thank God for it. Uh, however, that's not how it works. We are to keep ourselves according to the words of Jude, inspired words of Jude, in the love of God, looking for the mercy. This is how we keep ourselves in the love of God. We look for the mercy. We say, my goodness, he saved our soul. That's merciful right there. I mean, that's, that's merciful enough. But he, Jude is telling them here, he says, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That mercy is just as eternal as God is. God is eternal. God's love is eternal. God's mercy is eternal. Everything about God is eternal. And people will look at that and say, well, does that include his wrath? Yeah, it does. Everything about God is eternal. His wrath, his fury, his judgment, his sentencing. I mean, even the psalmist said, if I uh, go up to the heavens, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. God's in hell. His wrath is in hell. His fury is in hell. His judgment is in hell. God is everywhere. There's nothing that we can do about that. God is omnipresent. That means everywhere at all times. But uh, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God, by looking to the mercy that we have in Jesus Christ. So, all, all that being said, we can glean from all these things that we've read for the past few weeks uh, from Jude, from the book of Jude, about these false teachers and uh, about how they are and about how they act and about what they are, unregenerate people. And we just read that a couple of verses ago. They have not the spirit, therefore they cannot be saved. They are not saved. And if that's, uh, and we're reading about all this, but the last few verses of this book is, uh, is some of the most comforting words that we can find in the New Testament because we can keep ourselves in the love of God by looking to the mercy, unto the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, unto eternal life. And that's how you keep yourselves in the love of God. And I will stop right there. We might finish that up next week. Anybody got any questions or comments?